The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money. Hi, welcome to the Online Marketing Show. This is Joey Bushnell. Today's special guest is top copywriter and email copy expert, Ben Settle. Go to bensettle.com to find out more. Ben, thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Ben, before we go on, tell us your story. What got you into copywriting? Yeah, well, I got into copywriting sort of on accident. It was probably like late 2001. And I had been in multi-level marketing for a couple of years before that and just absolutely stank at it. I I, mean, I couldn't sell anybody. <laughs> I couldn't sell anything. Let's put it that way. No matter how, I listened to all the tapes. I read all the books. I did everything I was supposed to do. I, I just was really bad at it. Um, eventually, I got married, and uh, she was willing to give it a try, too, with this stuff. So we kept trying to work the business. Had some mild success, but just really just not very good at it. Mm-hmm. Eventually we got ourselves so in debt from buying leads and, you know, going to seminars and all that stuff, uh-huh. you know, always th- drinking the Kool-Aid thinking, Oh, we're going to make it someday. <laughs> and, uh, eventually we just got so in debt. It, it got so bad. We ended up being, I guess you could t- technically say homeless. Um, uh-huh. instead of living in like a apartment or a house, we lived in a two store, a uh, two room, office and you know two room office and slept on the floor there's no shower there remember we had to uh you know every morning we'd get up act like we were just coming in for the morning wow <laughs> so people didn't think we actually lived there and we'd go play basketball at the local rec center you know, and take yeah. a shower there it was pretty pretty bad wow. so anyway after like after a month or so of that i'm just it just got to the point to the point where you just start realizing, wait a minute, you know, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. I mean, it had gotten to the point where we were actually going door to door, trying to give out tapes, recruiting tapes to businesses and stuff, you know. I mean, just, it just retarded. I mean, it's just like the <laughs> dumbest thing that you could do. But anyway, long story short, one night, it's like 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. I'm just staring at the ceiling, laying on the floor of this office, and, uh, yeah, I just started like praying about it. I'm like, what am I saying? God, what do you want me to do? Because it's obvious that I'm not supposed to be doing this. And I just couldn't sleep. And I got up and went to the other room in the two-room office and uh, just looked at my bookshelf. And I picked up a book that I'd had for a, a while, for a couple of years. It was a book that actually got sent to me by that MLM company because they, they used to send you a book of the month. Yeah. And uh, – I just picked it up and started flipping through it, and it, the book was called "The Seven Lost Secrets of Success" by Joe Vitale, mm-hmm. and it, the book is about this this old school marketing genius named Bruce Barton. It's a really good book, really short read. Anyway, I picked up, I just started flipping through it. I'd read the book before, but for some reason, the information seemed new to me. And there's a story in there. It was back like 1919, I think. I guess America was going through some economic problems at the time. And there was this uh, sales manager who was out of work who had, who uh, was asking Bruce Barton for his advice. You know, what should I, you know, what can you help me out? 
And this guy had a uh, talent. He had a reputation for writing sales letters. That was his big thing. And so Bruce Barton takes him to the window and says, look at all those buildings out there, the city. You're supposed to be like this hot shot sales letter guy. Write a sales letter selling someone and hiring you. And there was something about that story that just hit me between the eyes. I wasn't really sure what a sales letter was or what copywriting was. But it sure seemed interesting. And from then on, I, I found, I got online, I started looking around. I found Dan Kennedy and this guy named Gary Halbert and all the usual names that anybody who studies copywriting will eventually run into. And I haven't looked back since. So how would you define the word copywriting, Ben? To someone that's never heard the term before, what is copywriting? Well, one of the, there's this guy, I, I hope I get his name right. Uh, John E. Kennedy, I think his name was. He's one of the, First, you know, he was one of the first direct response marketing type guys, not the first, but one of the first early 1900s. And he called it salesmanship in print. And later on, this guy, David Ogilvy, who I think, no, Claude Hopkins, not David Ogilvy. So either David Ogilvy or Claude Hopkins, sometimes I get these guys confused on their quotes, but mm-hmm. someone else called it salesmanship multiplied. And so what both of these definitions basically mean is it's a sales pitch that is written down either on the internet, you know, a computer screen or on a piece of paper. It could be a video script if you're doing a video or an audio script if it's a podcast. It's something where you basically have written down your sales pitch. And so instead of going belly to belly, door to door selling whatever you have or getting on the phone selling what you have, you're doing it in print. So that's pretty much what copywriting is. Okay, and where is copywriting used on the internet? What situations? Well, you can find it everywhere. I mean, it it seems to be you can apply this to almost anything online. You can see it when you see these long scrolling sales letters that sometimes freak people out. Say, How the heck do those work? Well, they work great. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can see it even like on blogs, people who are savvy enough to understand copywriting, they'll be able to use their blogs to sell things with. You can see it on those little Google ads. When you go to Google mm-hmm. through pay-per-click ads, you, that's copywriting when they're just little two or three lines selling you some. You can see it on Facebook or Twitter when somebody's trying to persuade you to click a link or to take some kind of action. Mm-hmm. So really anything that persuades you to do something, whether it's to buy something or just to take an action, is technically copywriting. And the call to action that is given could be to sell you something, get you to click on a link, or do some other kind of action. In a nutshell, it's persuasive writing, isn't it, Ben? Absolutely. I mean, you you can apply it to you know, almost any email, social media, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You don't have to be selling something for it to be copywriting. You know, I cut my teeth on this. And when I really started honing my skills somewhere around 2006. I mean, I had done pretty good before that, but I had a dry spell. And so I started writing a lot of easing articles. And I thought, you know what? I have time. I might as well just keep writing. So I wrote a bunch of articles. I mean, over what, a couple hundred probably over a few months. And, uh, you know, I just treated those like, okay, my goal is to get them to click a link at, you know, in my resource box. That was, pers- that was persuasive writing. I mean, I wasn't selling them anything. I was just trying to persuade them to do, take an action. And that took them to some kind of squeeze page or your website? Yeah, in, in that case, they went to my blog, but it could be a squeeze page in, in that case. But yeah, Mike, just for my example, it was a blog. But yeah, people do that for squeeze pages or for anything. Sure. So there's all sorts of goals going on within copywriting. It could be getting a click. It could be getting someone to opt in. It could be getting someone to buy something. So we've pretty much got a good idea of what copywriting is and why we need to use it. 
Is this a skill that is just for freelance copywriters, Ben? People like yourself who get paid to write copy? Or is this something for anyone who owns an online business that they should have some basic knowledge of? I think everybody should should really understand this. In fact, I would argue that it's more important for people who are not freelance copywriters right. to know it. You should, you know, my, it, I have recently over the last couple months, I stopped taking clients and I can tell you, I'm working harder on getting better at my craft now than I did then because I'm my own client now. And so I, for someone who's just runs a business online and just wants to sell whatever they have, I mean, you need to know it probably more than the freelancer does because it's your own business. You're your own client. There's more at stake. So, yeah, definitely. When writing a sales letter, how do you help the reader to quickly identify that this message is potentially for them? Yeah, there's a lot of ways to do that. And that, by the way, that's a very, very good question. Very important thing for people to know. Uh, one way that I would, that I'm going to try to simplify this for everybody. And one way that I think works great, I do this all the time myself now, it just really makes things go faster and easier. There was this, um, old school advertising guy, Norman B. Norman, or at least that was the name of the agency. And what they would do, and they were brilliant advertisers, and what they would do is they'd say, they do these things they would call knock knocks. And what that means is you would imagine that you're in a neighborhood selling door to door. You know, you no internet, no email, no, you know, there's nothing to hide behind. It's just you and belly to belly wrestle them to the ground sales. And so you go to these neighborhoods and the only advantage you have is you're in a neighborhood full of people who might be good prospects for what you have. Mm-hmm. So just not real different from direct response marketing if you're generating a good list of qualified people. Now you pretend, now say you knock on their door. What are you going to say when they open that door? What's the one thing you can say in, in as pivy a way as possible that will not only get them to not slam the door shut on you like they would most other door to door salespeople, but actually invite you in and say, Oh man, tell me more. Come on in, you know, and get you a beverage and, you know, <laughs> sit down on my favorite chair and, you know, tell me more. If you can figure that out, that's how, that is how you can, can do that. Just think, what would you say to your prospect in that situation? Is that just a case of knowing and deeply understanding who you're writing to? Oh yeah. I mean, this, it all comes down to knowing your market. It, the, the reality is the writing is okay. It's, it's important, but the most important thing that, you can do for writing for copywriting is to just study your customer so that you know that person better than anybody else and even better than they know themselves. Ben, let's talk headlines. First of all, what is the best headline or headlines you've ever written and why do you believe they work so well and drew the readers in? Well, you know, that's a good question. I I don't know what the best one would be, but I'm going to give you an example of one that I think would qualify as one of the better ones. And I think the reason I say this is because I know that the ad pulled very well when it ran originally, which was like two years ago. And it was for a client that I had in the self-defense industry. And the headline is kind of long, but here's what it was. How even skinny Barney Fife cops single-handedly control and dominate violent criminals, gangbangers, and other cold-blooded killers without even drawing their guns. Now, it's that's kind of a flamboyant headline, right? I mean, yeah. it, it is. But why would this work so well? Well, first of all, it, you know, a lot of the credit goes to the relationship that my client had with his list. So again, 
you know, this, this is goes beyond the actual writing stuff, but that'll help you get your sales letters read too. But I think what reason this works so well is actually a lot of reasons. One is there's an image there of Barney Fife who his market all knows who Barney Fife is, the skinny, uh, cop played in the show uh the andy griffith show you know just kind of wet noodle guy you just can't imagine this guy like you know beating anybody up you know but yeah. but there it is it's it's how would someone like that how could they possibly control and dominate all these like savage killers well the truth the truth is cops do you know everybody knows that cops do possess certain skills and a, a certain edge especially street cops and that's what the uh, product was selling you know how cops fight and so it makes it more believable. Mm-hmm. So even though I have a huge claim there, which, you know, that's a big claim, but by adding that one part in there, uh, and using a relatable character like that and kind of using some contrast, because that's what that is. It's contrasting two ideas like that. It gives it more believability. It gives it drama, which is always important. I mean, you know that you, you feel like you're going to be told a story here, an interesting, hopefully, story. And it also adds a lot of curiosity in there. I mean, cur- by the way, curiosity is very, very important if you can work it into a headline. There's a, one of the greatest copywriters who ever lived. His name is Gary Halbert. He died a few years back. And he, I had a, an opportunity to interview one of his, he only, he only took a few students on during his life, but this is one of his like personal students, a guy named Scott Haynes. And I asked Scott, about headlines and he told me this story about how he was with Gary Halbert and Gary asked him, Hey Scott, what do you think the most important part of a, you know, sales letter is? And, uh, Scott said, well, it's self-interest. You know, everybody would think that. I certainly would think that. He said, you're wrong because it's curiosity. Curiosity will carry a sale almost by itself. I mean, there are, we haven't talked about bullet points or anything, but there are people who write bullet points, really good bullet points, selling very expensive products. And people will buy that product because of one stupid little bullet point that's so curiosity-driven that they have to know the answer to it. So that's important in headlines too. Well, it it certainly sparked my curiosity before I even knew what the product was. I don't know what product was for sale there, but it really piqued my curiosity. I wanted to keep reading. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the goal and the aim of a headline is to get the reader to carry on reading. And I just know that personally, if I had that sales letter in front of me, I would have carried on reading. I would have wanted to have known. I'd have wanted to see it for myself. Prove that claim to me was what I would have been thinking. So do you have any other examples of great headlines at all? Another one which is completely different, and this has nothing to do with proof or credibility or anything. It's simply tapping into your prospects like dominant emotion like the one thing that just they the feeling they always have right this won't work in every market because not everybody has the same level of pain or desire you know it just depends for example someone who has who's suffering from a urinary tract infection you know it hurts every time he takes a piss Mm -hmm. that is a good prospect believe me you won't have to you know (laughs) as long as you can show him you got something to help he's in but if you're showing someone another way to make money online and they've seen a hundred other things this this headline might not do as well but anyway the headline was a warning do not read this unless you're frustrated as hell with your golf swing now this obviously was written to the golf market and there isn't a golfer in the world who's not frustrated with this golf swing. You know? uh-huh. I mean, that, that's just the fact, you know. I mean, maybe uh-huh. there's one or two people, but so it tapped in really hard into that emotion and did pretty well. Great. Some, some brilliant headlines there, Ben. Thank you. So one thing that sometimes happens when I'm reading a sales letter, Ben, 
is I read the headline and I sometimes start rolling my eyes because the copy is just so hypey, it sounds like lies. I just don't know whether to believe the person that's writing this. So how do you avoid sounding hypey, even if the claim is genuine? Well, that's that's a good question. You know, hype is basically claims or you know promises that you can't back up. So, for example, um, when you see these screaming headlines and it's how to make ten thousand dollars and you know what is the usual claim how to make ten thousand a year or ten thousand dollars a month, but that person who wrote who wrote the ad doesn't even make ten dollars an hour. Well, that's hype, and you know no one's going to believe that. But at the same time, if you can add some credibility to that claim, you know, be, you know, surround it with credibility. So, for example, how, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example, how Bill Gates makes $10,000 a month online. Well, now all of a sudden that claim has a lot more uh, believability to it, mm-hmm. you know, but if you just, if you take that Bill Gates part out, it doesn't mean anything. It's like, yeah, yeah, right. So try to, actually, one thing I like to do is kind of sandwich when possible, I like to try to sandwich my claims between two credibility things. So mm-hmm. be like a proof statement, a claim, and then another proof statement. And that, that'll that really take care of it if you can pull that off. Is it because you're making it more specific, Ben? Is that why it works? Well, specificity can, you know, that's one way that to do it. And the examples I'm giving, it's more, it, it is specific, but the, the power doesn't even have to be, I don't even have to say Bill Gates. I mean, I could say, Someone who's kind of vague, I could say how – I hate using internet marketing examples all the time. <laughs> but uh, so uh, let's say we're in the dog training market and you – okay, how the dog whisperer, Caesar, whatever his last name is, you know, how he gets dogs to obey, obey his every command. Well, that has a lot of proof to it, right? It's specific. But the real power is that celebrity. But at the same time, you could also say you know, how top dog trainers get all their – dogs it's not as specific but it's still got credibility to it but you're right if the more specificity you can add the better my next question is about a term you hear in copywriting and marketing all the time and i just want to know your take on it really first of all can you tell me what is a usp and then how do you discover the usp yeah a a usp is stands for unique selling proposition and uh, based on who you ask about it it's basically what can you do that nobody else can do or is willing to do, you know, in your market. But it was a lot of people, I think, get this a little bit confused. Um, I'm I'm kind of a contrarian with this, and a lot of people disagree with me. But a guy named Dan Kennedy really popularized this for the you know for your average marketer. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. It's it's a good definition, mm-hmm. and it's a good use of it. But if you look back historically, it was created, I believe, in the 1960s. It was first coined by this guy, Rosser Reeves, who created it for TV advertising because it was his, uh, you know, it was his thought that when you're watching TV, you don't have a lot of time to sell. I mean, you only have like 30 seconds, 15 seconds, a minute at the most. I don't know how long commercials were back then, but you don't have much time. So, you have to figure out something to say, and this kind of goes back to the knock-knocks we talked about earlier, that is going to make you stick out uniquely in the market so that they'll remember you and they'll go find you and seek you out because it's not like they could log on to the Internet back then. you know. So it's very, very, very important. Now, today, I think it's a mistake to just have one USP. I think you should have as many USPs as you can. I mean, why not have five or ten of them? And 
you know, that takes a lot of research and a lot of digging to figure it out. But the more unique selling propositions you have, the better off you're going to be. Sure. So if you were going through this process of finding out what your USPs were, Ben, and you're struggling a little bit for whatever reason, maybe you just don't have your thinking cap on that day, or possibly you feel your product is quite similar to the others out there on the market. Do you have any techniques for discovering what your USPs really are? Or do you have a way of engineering a USP almost, creating one for the purpose of your copy? Well, yeah, um, I'll give you two examples to answer both of those angles. The, the first is just research. Dig, 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 dig. You know, <laughs> see, you have to just look at your product from every conceivable angle and just see what makes this thing stand out. Or it could be what makes you as the product creator stand out. That could be unique. But you want to do something like that. The better, you know, that, that's just elbow grease. I mean, that, that's going to take time and effort. And I mean, it's hard work, but it's definitely worth it. Another thing you can do, and this is sort of like cheating, <laughs> is to invent, you know, and, you know, if you can't find anything or you don't want to sit there and you don't have a lot of time, well, just add something to your product or your offer that makes it unique. And one of the best examples I ever saw for this, uh, this is radical, but it, you know, this is the way to think about it was, uh, this mechanic, you know, Mechanics are a dime a dozen. I mean, how do you make yourself stand out as a mechanic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's only so much you can do. Well, this guy said, I'll either, I fix your car the right the first time or I'll buy your car. Uh-huh. Now, 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 is there anybody that's going to be able to compete with that? I mean, there is mm-hmm. just, he just like completely st- stands out. And from what I understand, he only had to buy a few cars and the extra sales are like way more than worth it. So, that's the kind of stuff that, I mean, you talk about building credibility. I mean, that's pretty hardcore offer. I mean, yeah. you got to really stand behind what you have to do that. So that's one way to look at it. Okay, so maybe if we're struggling to find the USP in the product or the service itself, you can add something on like a guarantee or bonuses and they can make the offering unique. Absolutely. I mean, everybody likes to talk, everybody likes to use the uh, Domino's pizza example when talking about USPs because that's what Dan Kennedy used to do in all his speeches. And it's a great example. Fresh hot pizza in 30 minutes guaranteed. You know, there was nobody at the time who was going to guarantee that, but they did and it built like this multi hundred million dollar empire. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. My next question, Ben, are there any ways that you know of to build trust with the reader and stop them from being distrusting and skeptical. Because let's face it, if they're cold and they don't know who you are, at the beginning they are going to be distrusting. So how do we get them to trust you? Well, the best way to do this is to not try, in my opinion at least, and this isn't going to apply to everybody, so this is just generally speaking. Um, I have a client, for example, who this will not does not apply to, but um, and that is... You know, you capture their name first, their email address at least, name or email address. Sometimes you just need their email address. And uh, you start writing them an email every day or as often as you can. Five days a week is what I do for one list, seven for another, but, you know, as often. And you get, they get to know you every day, little by little. You, you get to demonstrate your knowledge and expertise every day. People feel, you know, if you do it right, you're kind of like their favorite talk radio show host. I mean, they want to hear from you. They tune in to hear from you. And when you have something to sell, even if they don't buy, they're at least going to give you a fair hearing. So that really kind of wipes out a lot of the problems that usually used to come up before the Internet. You know, you could do that kind of thing. But like I said, I had a client. In fact, that same client who the headline I read you from the self-defense industry, he doesn't even bother with the squeeze page. 
he he goes right for the sale on the first contact. So you'll see his ads all over major news sites and stuff, and uh, he just tries to sell you right in the sales letter. Now he can do that because his ad, he's he's been building his branding up for years. I mean, he's the biggest in the industry, so. You know, there are times when you can do that, which is in some ways better if you, if it works out for you financially, because it's much better to have a list of buyers than you know, prospects. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there, Ben. So the answer to that is probably not to be showing your sales letters to cold prospects. Warm them up first. Moving on, what are some common mistakes that you see in people's copy, and what should they do instead? Well, the first big one I, I alluded to this earlier was not doing enough research. I mean. Copywriters, um, we talk about professional copywriters, or some, most of them, not all of them, are some of the laziest people on planet Earth. <laughs> okay, and you know, some get away with that, but you don't want to do that. I mean, being lazy, you know, I, I just think research is everything. If you can know your market so well, you know what? I'm going I'm to give you an example. I told you about that golf ad uh, a little bit ago. When I wrote that ad. I had not have the product right away. All I had was, you know, I had some conversations with the guy selling it and I got to learn the market really, really well. At the time, I didn't know anything about the market, so I had to learn it. And, uh, I wrote that whole ad with the exception of the bullet points and, you know, specific product details without even seeing the product. And I think that's a really good, that's how you know if you know your market well enough. Can you write an ad to that market selling anything? Obviously without the product details. And if, if the answer is no, then you don't know that market well enough. So you got to keep learning about them. So that's the first mistake. That, that's that's a big one. As far as writing mistakes go, I'd say the, a really bad one would be not getting to the point fast enough. I mean, you know, in a regular conversation with someone, it's normal to kind of clear your throat and stumble and mumble a little bit, you know. But in a sales letter, you can't do that. You have to just get right to the point. Talk about them and their problems and your, you know, and then go to your solution after you've bonded with them a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just getting to the point and just not doing any of the small talk and all that sort of thing, that's huge. I, I think most sales letters are way too long and bloated. That doesn't mean they can't be long. I mean, I still have long sales letters, but they're not bloated. So that's another. And by the way, the way around that, a good way around that, um, is to read your ad out loud several times. I do it at least 10 times. And you'll start realizing that word doesn't need to be there. That sentence sounds dumb. You know, you'll start pulling things out that you're like, man. And another thing you can do is actually hand your sales letter, not to a, a marketing person or a copywriter, but to someone in your market, a potential customer, if you can. Now, it's not always possible to do this, but when possible, and see what their reaction is. If they don't want to buy it, then ask them why not, and they'll tell you. I mean, you will get so much information like that yeah. that you can't learn in a copywriting book or anything. So it's mm-hmm. just a great way to learn your market. You know, and, and then uh, finally, not really understanding how to structure an ad. Now, this is a whole, you know, two-hour conversation in itself. But one of the ways, one of the re- things that copywriters are often urged to do is to study other successful ads. And, and you know, if you really want to take it far, and I did this, is write other ads out in your own handwriting, <laughs> like really good ads. You'll automatically understand how they're structuring their ad. Okay. You know, there's a very specific, there's several formulas out there. One of the big ones is, you know, attention, interest, desire, action, which to me is kind of vague. Here's how to structure an ad. I mean, this is the, this is the shortcut way to do it. 
This is how I do almost all of my ads, and it never changes. It doesn't work for every product, but if you're selling information or you know most products, this will work. And that is headline, opening sentence, your story, mm-hmm. bullet points, close. There's your structure. I mean, just fill in the blanks. Brilliant. You mentioned story there as well, Ben. Can you expand on what you mean? We all know what stories are, but what if you feel like your story is weak or it doesn't have much drama to it? It's not very interesting. It's not relevant. What would you do in that kind of situation? Well, you know, that that's why I'm saying it's not always going to work out that exact way, but you can always tell the story of how the product came into existence. What problem was it designed to solve? Uh-huh. You know, you don't have to tell your story. Now, I'm going to give a little bit of a secret here. <laughs> that ad I wrote for the uh, Barney Fife headline, you know, it tells the story about this skinny, twerpy cop who basically got caught in this, like, riot, and he didn't he have time to wait for backup, so he got out of the car. And, you know, ten minutes later, he had a bunch of people on their knees, hands over their heads, obeying his every command. That's a story, right? How the heck did he do that? Well, the reality is, you know, I didn't say he used the product. This is just an example of a cop, and it's a composite of what I've seen cops being capable of doing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't ever want to lie about your product. Like, you don't ever want to tell people someone used your product and they really didn't to get a certain result. You don't want to say, and he used my, uh, you know, DVDs and how to kick ass and he had every, no, he didn't. I mean, you don't want to do that. But you could just tell a story that describes the problem and, you know, allude to a solution that you have. My final question is, can you give me three top tips for anyone that they can go and use to improve their copy from this point onwards? Well, the first thing, most important in my opinion, is making sure everything you say is believable. Um, some, sometimes you can't start with your most biggest, most interesting claims. Now, this, this is something that people come to realize over if you see a lot of tests and stuff, you start realizing, hmm, that's the best claim. That's the coolest thing. That's it. But I can't say it at the beginning because it doesn't sound believable. You know, I'll, I'll use MLM as an example. This is a technique written about in a copywriting book called Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene Schwartz. He called it gradualization. But it, it kind of gives you the, kind of gives you an idea. Let's say you were selling Amway. <laughs> it's like the hardest thing probably to sell in the world. Well, you wouldn't come out, you know, if you're smart about it, you're not going to come out and say, hey, would you like to join my Amway business? <laughs> you're probably not going to get much there. But if you start out by saying, you know, the economy sure sucks, doesn't it? Well, yeah. Yeah, jobs really aren't really secure anymore. Well, yeah, that's true. Well, you know, home business, that's why people are starting home businesses. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, but of course, home businesses, there's so many to choose from. How do you know which one to choose? Well, that's a good question. Well, you know, one thing that works is what people do is call franchises, you know, because that's where the system's already created for you. And you don't have to do much thinking. You can just plug in. Well, that sounds good. Of course, the problem with that is it's very expensive. And uh, there's a lot of laws and stuff, and it's hard to get it going, and a lot of rules that hold you back and not realistic for the regular person. Oh, yeah, that's true. Of course, there's multi-level marketing. You know, that's kind of mm-hmm. like a poor man's version of, of, yeah. of uh, franchising. And you can get in usually pretty cheap. Well, that sounds good. And, of course, the you know, the company that's been around the longest is Amway. So, you know, they're the most solid. Now, I'm not – believe me, I'm not selling Samway, Amway right now. I, I – you know, I'm not, my point is, though, is that's how you would start it. It's You've made it believable. You've made it credible. 
And uh, you couldn't have just started out with Amway. You had to build up to it. That's what I mean by that. Uh, the second mistake people make or for improving their copy is uh, always respect your customer and their time. I mean, we talked about getting to the point right away. Well, you know, a lot of that is just to respect their time. They don't necessarily have a lot of time in their lives right now, and especially depending on what you're selling. So you always want to respect their time. You don't want to waste it with nonsense or like we were talking about hype or anything like that. Not only is it going to hurt your sales, but it shows them an awful lot of disrespect. And, you know, they can sense that. They, they know when the person writing to them if it res- they respect them or not. And mm-hmm. they're not going to buy from you if you don't respect them. And then finally, probably even just as important as all the other ones is uh, the old adage. Don't tell me about your crab, your weed killer. Tell me about my crabgrass. And and what that means is always, always, always be – just stay in your customer's world. And by that, I mean you never want to go off on some tangent that has nothing to do with their problem. We talked <laughs> – I used the example of a urinary tract infection, right? Now, that mm-hmm. I've never had one. You know, God help me. I never will, hopefully. But I know they're pretty painful. And so <laughs> – you know, you cannot talk to someone who has a urinary tract infection. You cannot tell them too much information about urinary tract infections. They got to know. You wouldn't start telling them about something else. You wouldn't start, you know, trying to hype them up or anything like that. You would sit down with them and just say, look, you know, I know you have this problem and I had this problem once and, you know, here's how I solved it. Now, the, the point is, is you always want to stay in their world. This is something that the world's greatest negotiator, a guy named Jim Camp, who, uh, you know, he's, he's like the most feared negotiator in the world. Like he actually goes in Fortune 500 companies and does the negotiating for him. And this is his big thing. You're always safe when you're in the other person's world. And that is so powerful for writing ads. If you could just keep that structure that we talked about before and you're just talking about their problems and the benefits that are going to help them, that'll go a long way toward making your copy sell more, even if you're not the best writer in the world. Ben, it's been absolutely great to speak to you today. Where can we go to find out more about your products or services? Do you have a blog? I know you mentioned earlier that you have an email list. So fire away. Please tell us the options that we have. Okay. The, to find out more about me, just go to my website at www.bensettle.com. And uh, if you were to opt into my email list, which is free, I'll send you a uh, the first issue of my print newsletter, which is worth $97. That's what people actually pay every month for it. I'll send you a PDF of it, not the actual print one. And uh, it contains 24 different ways of increasing your sales with email right away. I mean, you don't have to spend a lot of time on this stuff. They're just 24 quick tips. Start applying them. I just got a testimonial about this the other day. I I don't even solicit testimonials for it, but he's like, wow, I, you know, I applied this free information and, you know, it made me money. So thank you. So I, I believe it could help anyone listening to this too. Excellent. That's the end of today's show. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. Ben, a big thanks to you for coming on the show. You got it. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.